welcome to the CKNW Weekend Morning Show Podcast. I'm your Saturday host, Sterling Fox, and today, Vancouver community volunteers have really stepped up during our recent weather events. We'll talk with just one example. The people from Kalsa Aid, Baljeet Lali, will join us. The city of Merritt is slowly returning to normal activity. We'll go to the Emergency Operations Center in Merritt. Alan Stebbing is standing by with an update. And Sergeant Chris Clark and local RCMP are warning Metro Vancouverites to beware of so-called romance scams on dating sites involving cryptocurrency and costing some victims really big dollars. So let's get started. Lots more rain on the way. Uh, heavy, heavy. This is the second of the three systems uh, that are inbound to our corner of the world. And of course, uh, in the wake of several systems already, one of the stories and one of the one of the things that really helps us go forward and keep ourselves organized and focused is the ability of our citizens to respond to emergencies. We have seen countless dozens and hundreds of stories of people in distress being bailed out by complete strangers and volunteer groups all over the Lower Mainland gathering together to create uh, whatever needs to be done to help people displaced by the floods, whether they be here in the Fraser Valley or upcountry in Merritt or in Princeton or wherever. Baljeet Lali is with Kalsa Aid here in Vancouver, uh, one of the many groups that have been helping those displaced by the floods. And Baljeet, good morning and welcome. Your work is obviously far from over. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. It's good to have you with us. Take us back a little bit and, and let's talk about the, the, the big effort that you and Kalsa Aid put together. This was after the first big storm when you had uh, a, a lot, over a thousand people stranded in hope, many of whom were truckers. And of course, there's the supply chain breakdown and all of whom were completely, literally stranded. Your group sprang into action. Balji, take it from there, please. Um. Yeah, so it, it, it started off by um, somebody sending me a Facebook post uh, regarding uh, over 200 truckers and quite a few families that were stranded outside of Hope. Mm-hmm. They couldn't travel east or west. Um, but one good thing is they there was the Hope Airport that was really close to them. Um, so just um, reaching out to different contacts that we've made through the community as a whole, and um, uh, one of the, the truckers that I was in contact with said, there's an airport here. Could we get um, some food supplies flown in? So we um, dug around and we found um, a local airline, London Air Services, that was more than willing to, uh, to chopper in um, food supplies for us. And so then it became, okay, what are we going to send them? And sure. A lot of the truckers are South Asian um, and there's our staple food is the roti and lentils and like really nourishing hearty food. So, um, contacted a few local, um, Sikh temples cause, um, there's always a community kitchen, mm-hmm. uh, underneath them. And, um, uh, Kalsa Darbad is here in Vancouver responded back and they were more than happy. They said, how many meals do you need? And, um, and I said about uh, close to 300 meals. And they said, okay, bring us Tupperware, pick it up tomorrow morning. Wow. Yeah. And um, had volunteers go out, uh, purchase apples and bananas and granola bars, um, things that were more non-perishable as well. So um, they could last a couple of days because they weren't sure how long 
they were going to be stranded. Sure, yeah. And, and next morning, um, picked up all the food. Our volunteers came together super fast, put, uh, packed everything in boxes, went out to YVR and um, met the president of London Air. And they were super accommodating. And within a half an hour, uh, the all the goods were um, landed in Hope. And the trucker I was in contact with sent us pictures that everybody's happy eating hot meals. And um, it was just such a humble blessing that we were able to help them so quickly and mobilize. Well, that's it. I think that's the part, Baljeet, that uh, people uh, need to uh, sort of develop a sense of appreciation for. A, you were able to make a phone call and order up 300 meals like I would call and order a pizza. And B, you were able to pick them up and ship them out first thing the next morning. That's an astonishing response. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's because of our volunteers. It's because of, you know, people just wanting and willing to help um, in any way they can. Um, and so things just fell into place, um, even though it's a, it, sounded, it was a monumental task. Sure. How are we going to do this as quickly as possible and just, just came together? And, um, you know, it, it was a group and community effort. All the way. Indeed it was. Now, Baljeet, here we are uh, on the morning of System 2, which is due in any, well, if they say around noon, the really heavy stuff will start, and it'll be with us for at least 24 hours. A bit of a reprieve on Monday. We go from rain to showers. There's a break. You're a Vancouverite. You know that. And then more heavy stuff back on Tuesday. Your group, Calsa Aid, and others around Metro Vancouver clearly aware of the weather forecast. How are you preparing to be ready to help this time around? I, I think we're just we're on standby. I think um, you know, in in the past week and a half, I think a lot of individuals um, and nonprofits and other organizations have stockpiled, and and here we're ready, willing to help. Um, you know, one good thing is the government decided to shut down the roads, so mm-hmm. no people won't be stranded. So that was a very good logistical move. Um, but, you know, we're, we're on standby. We're ready to help and um, in the most, you know, safest possible way without getting in the way of emergency services. Um, and so it's just, we're just waiting. Kind of on call, I guess you could say. Well, aren't we lucky to have groups like yours on standby? And of course, and you were talking about road closures. And uh, word is, Baljeet, uh, that there were, there will be road closures today. We, we're not sure when. Mark Staling, our traffic guy, is standing by. We'll get some more information from him. But first of all, let me just thank you for the work that you and hundreds of volunteers at Calsa 8 have provided over the past while. And that you are on standby uh, must come as a great comfort to a lot of people, Balji. Thank you very much for being with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Joined now on the line from the city of Merritt by Alan Stebbing, who is the uh, Emergency Operations Center Public Information Officer for the city of Merritt. Alan, uh, good morning. Welcome to the program. 
Good morning, Sterling. Thanks for having me. Well, it's good to have you with us. We talked to your colleague Greg Lois last uh, last weekend, and at that time, there were one there was one group of people in the city of Merritt in one of the one neighborhood that was high up that was allowed to return home. Since then, there's been a lot of work on the emergency center operations level. But as I understand it, Alan, there's another group of Merritt residents who will be allowed to return effective today. Is that the case? Yes. Yeah, we uh, we have been able to allow um, what we've what we've termed phase two uh, to allow as of as of noon today, uh, they will be allowed back into their homes to be able to stay. And uh, we were very excited also to be able to allow people into phase three, um, which is closer to the impacted area uh, to allow today to return um, as of noon uh, just for day access, so mm-hmm. between noon and three today, and then beyond that daily, it'll be between nine and three, so that people can start getting into their homes, seeing uh, seeing what if any damage there is, uh, getting extra supplies, um, and and being able to do that. Unfortunately, we still have a phase four uh, that is that is uh, not being. We're not allowing people to have access to. Uh, because there's still a number of hazards in that area, mm-hmm. um, and uh, but yes, no, we are very excited to start being allowed to uh, to bring our merit residents back home. Yeah, and Alan, last weekend, as people, the the one neighborhood were allowed to return to their homes, and other people were allowed with a police escort, and you had to check in at one of the three points around the uh, perimeter of the city, and you could be escorted back to your home for precisely the purposes you were talking about, getting your valuables, maybe some medications, those sorts of things, and that you weren't allowed to stay. So for those that part of town that is still under that order, will a police escort still be required to get you to your place so that you can get your valuables and then return so no uh the opening up of phase three we we've decided that uh you know it's it's a fairly large area Mm -hmm. and um and it wasn't going to be practical to have have police doing all the escorts sure so what we've done is we've set out those hours of between nine and three uh, the area remains under evacuation order but um allowing people to to come in between nine and three um, and then, of course, the police will have a, a strong presence there after three o'clock uh, to to make sure that 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 the community remains safe sure. and that uh, that people are aware that uh, that those are the hours that they're allowed to be in in phase three. We're speaking with Alan Stebbing, who is uh, the public uh, information officer with Merritt this morning. And Alan, uh, the big concern and the reason for the evacuation of 7,000 Merritt residents in the first place was the failure of the water purification system. Uh, and uh, there's still a boil water advisory, as I understand it today. What's the status of the system? So the system the system remains operational. Um, it you're you're quite correct. Uh, phase one and phase two are on a boil water advisory, um, and then phase three and phase four, which are south of Nicola Avenue, uh, actually remain on on a do not consume. So we're it's not even a boil water advisory. Mm-hmm. It's do not use it. Do right. not use it for showers. Do not use it for flushing toilets. Um, and and you know that's to ensure. I mean, I mean, our water system safety is is very important. Um, thankfully, in in most places uh, in British Columbia, you know, people can turn on the taps and have good, safe, quality drinking water, and 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 we have become used to that. And and so 
of course, it's a, it's a major issue for us to make sure that that water system is is safe and secure for the residents of Merritt. Indeed. So uh, is there any timeline, Alan, at all that's been identified as to when it might be uh, repaired to the point where uh, water consumption, for example, would be a reality again? Um, at this point, we don't have a timeline. Our, our public works staff, uh, supported by staff from Kamloops and, and Kelowna, um, you know, continue to work on it. Um, and we work in partnership with Interior Health, right. uh, their environmental health officers, to make sure that we're getting, you know, number one, work on the system done, but also ongoing testing to ensure that uh, the safety of the water is uh, is up to par. Absolutely. Now, Alan, uh, here in Vancouver, it's raining already. It's just drizzling at this point. The heavy stuff isn't expected until around noon, and then it's going to pound us for an, at least 24 hours. We'll get a reprieve on Monday, and there's another system due on Tuesday. You know this as well as we do. What sort of pre- preparation is going into uh, being ready for this afternoon, for example? Well, we uh, we are of course uh, getting daily or uh, sorry hourly updates uh, from Environment and Climate Change Canada on the forecast, and and we have been working closely with uh, Emergency Management BC and the BC River Forecast Center mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that that information is coming in. Uh, our Emergency Operations Center is is of course up and running at full uh, at full tilt, um, you know, and, and we'll be operating right through the weekend. Um, and, and of course we've also had, we've got a utilities, um, uh, management plan that, mm-hmm. that we've been working on to, to try and make sure that we can keep the, the, the public works utilities running. Uh, there has been a dike assessment completed throughout the city of Merritt. Um, and we have already started working on, uh, some riverbank reinforcement, uh, to try and ensure that, uh, that any water that does come, uh, is, is maintained in the river channel. Now, thankfully for us, it at this point it appears the modeling appears that we will not be hit nearly as nearly as hard as as the Lower Mainland right. will this time. But uh, but of course, we are definitely on standby watching these things, and it's part of the reason that we have kept uh, we have kept the community. If you're not on evacuation order in phase three and four, then you have been kept on evacuation alert. And we ask people to really think about the things that you would need if. You know, if we have to make that that very tough decision to ask people to evacuate again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, be prepared, have those things, have your medications, have your important documents um, and, and be ready to go if if things you know, in this very dynamic situation change, yeah. uh, and we have to ask people to leave. Fingers crossed, Alan. It's not over yet. We wish you considerable success in getting things back to normal for Merritt. Thanks so much for taking a few moments to fill us in this morning. Well, thanks, Sterling. We appreciate it. And uh, and you guys, uh, everyone in the Lower Mainland and uh, throughout the province, we hope they stay safe as well. Thanks, Alan, very much. Well, Richmond Mounties are warming people to beware of romance scams after a local spike in the cybercrime. The Mounties say they've received five such romance cryptocurrency reports over a 10-day period just this month. So with so many reports in such a short time frame, the police want to ensure the community of Richmond knows that it's not immune to these scams. This year alone, the Richmond RCMP have investigated 73 fraud files with a nexus to cryptocurrency. Here to tell us more is uh, the media relations officer with the Federal Serious and Organized Crime Unit. A pleasure to say good morning to Sergeant Chris Clark. Good morning, Sergeant Clark. 
Good morning, Sterling. It's good to have you with us, Chris. Tell us a little bit more about the nature of these romance scams. As I understand it, the bad guys uh, hang out on dating sites and those sorts of online environments and look for targets, correct? Yeah, the the idea really is to try to exploit the trust relationship. So building some trust through uh, uh, making connections, people that are looking for connections, and uh, and then eventually getting to a point where they're going to exploit that. They're going to, um, you know, offer this incredible investment opportunity when in the, that opportunity is actually a scam. So how, though, Sergeant Clark, does, does a person visiting a dating site uh, end up becoming an investor, for crying out loud, something they clearly hadn't anticipated doing when they dialed up whatever the site they want? Well, exactly. And, and it all comes down to them building trust. Like, um, I, I've actually had a number of people reach out to me directly to discuss this, and the stories are very similar. The, they'll um, start a relationship with somebody online, and over the course of several days, several weeks, several months, they start to uh, build up that trust. And then once they think they know this person, even though they've really only made contact online, they start to direct them towards these uh, investments because they, then they start to use really um, traditional fraud tactics like pressure tactics or the fear of missing out, that sort of thing. All right, sure. And, uh, and so then, of course, it just goes down the, the, the well there. Typically, though, how long does it take? How long does the setup take for the bad guy to develop this alleged relationship of trust with the victim? Well, it really varies, but um, I've seen some that are quite short or, or it happens qu- quite early in the relationship. And we have to realize that if you're, if you're reaching out on a dating site, you're reaching out for a connection. You're trying to connect to somebody. Sure. So you're already offering up that trust. And so it's, it just makes you uh, a, a target of opportunity, really. And, and, and that much more vulnerable, even though you uh, just visited this site looking for some kind of connection. Exactly. Interesting. So uh, it's the frequency uh, that I suppose is a little unnerving. Not only have you had five reports of this in, in, in a 10-day period this month, Chris, but you've also looked at, what was it, close to 75 similar cases just this year, just in Richmond. Well, exactly. And we've actually had a number of uh, municipal police forces and other RCMP detachments reach out to, to federal policing because this is a problem everywhere in B.C. Exactly. Um, We've seen a, a rapid increase in, in uh, losses year over year. Uh, we're we're um, about triple what we were last year already, and we're still not uh, to the end of the year. And the connection is with seemingly, it's, it's the straight, the strange part, I suppose, Chris, for many listening would be the cryptocurrency aspect. I mean, it's one thing to get conned by a smooth uh, uh, con artist. But when you, when you move into the realm of cryptocurrency, shouldn't a red light automatically go off? Well, I think that, um, you know, there's been a lot of crypto in the news lately. There's uh, crypto is quite volatile. So there's um, a really good opportunity to make quite a lot of money and also lose a lot of money, right? There's risk involved, of course. And that's one of the things that um, could be a red flag is if somebody says, you know, you can make a lot of money with zero risk to you or little risk. Right. That's that's uh, one of those things you want to look out for. It's obviously too good to be true. But um, there's an opportunity there to, to make money and 
not a lot of information or not a lot of knowledge uh, that goes along with that. So uh, with that gap comes an opportunity to to defraud somebody. Well, I suppose, and, and that's why I mean, I'm sort of coming at it through the back door, Chris, because on the one hand, you're absolutely right with this, this whole new sector of cryptocurrency and all of these different Ethereum and Bitcoin and on and on the list goes. And, and there are so many new ones coming on stream all the time, it's difficult to keep up. So sure, with that kind of, of brand new environment and a lot of hype surrounding it, it's easy to imagine being conned into in, into uh, investing, but I suppose though my marker personally would be crypto coin. Anybody who approaches me and wants me to do anything in cryptocurrency is an immediately suspicious column in my mind, only because I I don't get it, I don't understand cryptocurrency, and I, I see it in my case personally as somebody trying to rip me off. Yeah, and that's actually one of the um, techniques that they'll use or tactics that they'll use is overly complicated um, language. So if you, I mean, if you can't understand it, it's probably not a good idea to invest in it. No kidding. There's always a little bit of research you should be doing if you're going to be investing, uh, in my view. And if you're not doing that research yourself or, or um, you know, you're taking the advice of somebody from social media or from a dating site, then you might want to go to a more trusted, legitimate source to, uh, to obtain that information. And there certainly are, and, and the Securities uh, Commission in here in BC is actually moving very quickly to do to take a good look at regulating the cryptocurrency sector and getting it in line with the rest of, of the uh, the financial sector. Sergeant Clark, if someone listening to us right now, Chris, is, is either going through this or knows someone who's going through this and being, you can just sort of feel it all slipping away, uh, uh, and, and yet, what do you do? Who do you call? Well, they should report it to their local police. That's uh, that's for sure. Um, there's no guarantees that you're going to get your money back, of course. But uh, there there is a small chance there that we could investigate and bring somebody to uh, to justice and get that money. Um, but we've we've seen traditionally that reporting is extremely low. That it's about an estimated five percent of people that are um, getting ripped off that are actually reporting it. So our losses. Uh, are probably extremely higher than what what uh, we're showing. Uh, so that's the first step. Yeah, report it to your local police. So, Chris, um, is it is the re, the reluctance to come forward and report these activities to police partly because people are feeling a little foolish, a little embarrassed at how, about being taken in by this this clearly a con artist that gives no credit to some of these bad guys who are pretty darn slick. But the lack of reporting may have a lot to do with people just feeling a little embarrassed, right? That certainly might play into it. It might be that they didn't actually lose any money, they were on the verge of it, or that they've lost you know an insignificant amount and they don't think it's worth their time, or that they don't think the police can help them. Mm-hmm. So that's obviously a problem for us, and uh, we need to we need to ensure that reporting is at its highest possible, so that we can direct the resources we need to uh, combating this type of fraud. And I've been saving the big number to the last, Sergeant Clark. What is that loss number that you're using as what you've already said is likely a low ball estimate so far this year? So so far this year, well, this is uh, now a slightly dated number because it was to the end of August. We're um, we're at about three and a half million dollars in loss to crypto investment alone. That number, of course, to crypto fraud in total is significantly higher. 
But um, again, that number is almost triple of what we had all of last year. Yeah. So online romance scams, cryptocurrency scams are on the rise. If it happens to you or someone you know, uh, the advice of Sergeant Clark and his colleagues in uh, the Federal Serious and Organized Crime Unit is pick up the phone, don't feel stupid, it happens to the best of us, and get these bad guys identified so they can get after them. Exactly. Sergeant Clark, thanks very much for this. I appreciate it, Chris. It's uh, good of you to join us and bring this to our attention. It's that time of year when we get a little busy, a little caught up, and we're even more vulnerable. So we appreciate your sage advice this morning a great deal. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or listen to us live six to nine weekend mornings. I'm Sterling Fox. Have a great week. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.